You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast and joining me today on the show is John Butler. And today we're going to be talking about stillness, pain, grief, existential anxiety and a lot more. Now before we get into this episode, John is of course a a man of faith and there are quite a few biblical references throughout this interview. However, this interview does not require you in any way to be religious to get anything out of it. The conversation is just as valuable to you no matter what your faith, no matter what your beliefs. So John Butler has quite an interesting story because he led an extraordinarily interesting uh, life, but it was largely unknown until recently, recorded only in notes, diaries, letters, for many years, just hidden away in the cupboard, until he published his first books, Wonders of Spiritual Unfoldment, in 2008, when he turned 71. And unexpectedly, in about 2017, he was interviewed on Conscious TV, which, to his surprise, was very well received and absolutely blew up on YouTube. John then founded his own YouTube channel, and three, four years later, has accumulated almost 10 million views and over 100,000 subscribers. And John continues to work on books, on his channel, and producing wisdom and teaching through those mediums. And today he joins me on the Freedom Pact podcast, and it was an absolutely thoroughly enjoyable conversation and one that I have gained a lot from personally, and I cannot wait to share it with you today. So please join me and welcome the incredible John Butler. Okay, so John, welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be with you. Okay, so I was thinking when I was preparing for this interview, we live in such a fast-paced world right now. Uh, people seem to rush around. You know, you can you can buy an item online and it arrives at your door within hours. People uh, want everything instant. So, in such a fast-paced world, why do you think it is important for us to slow down sometimes? Well, those who those who get have a sense of that there is another world, the spiritual world. And even more so those that get a, a glimpse of it. Um, or indeed many glimpses of it. So many glimpses of it that it becomes something real, not just theoretical, but actual real. You begin to realize that there are two worlds. There is 
this unchanging world where there is no rush whatsoever, no coronavirus and no death, what's more. And then you begin to get a, a perspective of this world, that this world is in fact, as the Bible says, a fallen world. We have fallen from our original and proper status of spiritual beings into this corrupt and mortal world. Now, once you get that bit between your teeth, you see very clearly that the purpose of our life in this world is to recognize it, again, to use a biblical phrase, as a world of sin. In other words, a world of ignorance, where we've lost our true home, which is in spirit. And then the purpose of, of um, Uh, of using a, a technique such as being still and silent is because this is a very helpful first step, as it were, towards recognizing the existence of an alternative and much better world. How do you define the word stillness? Oh, well, this is one of the, the, the points, uh, you see, Louis, you can't define it. Mm. You cannot define silence or stillness or space, still less spirit. We use these words every day, but nobody knows what they are. At least we know what they are, but you can't define them. Because the moment you define something, you put it in a little box. You limit it within a concept of within a concept of the human mind. Whereas the essential nature of stillness and silence uh, and still more so of spirit is that it is unlimited. Therefore it's un indescribable. What are some of the ways that you would encourage people to seek out stillness? Is it maybe looking into meditation if people are listening now and they think that they are one of those people that are always rushing around and you know they're very far from stillness what are some of the tips you would give them to start that journey well as the bible says seek and you will find look and search you know it's a great blessing to be discontented in this life because it's this this motivation of discontent that urges one to seek for better and this is this is what uh, so this is the uh, seek 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 uh, you know usually to begin with most people go to books so, you know if you've got a religious inclination go to the scriptures but uh, a lot of people now are searching on the internet there any number of <laughs> people on the internet, <laughs> wise and not so wise, who, who are offering their, <laughs> their versions of, <laughs> of an alternative life. So take your pick. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's plenty out there to sift through, definitely. Yes. Um, uh, sorry, I just lost the gist of your question. Um, have I answered you? 
Absolutely, absolutely. We were talking about uh, achieving stillness. And do you think that having a deeper connection and a personal relationship with nature can help bring us closer to stillness? Um, uh, let me just go back to the, the phrase you uh, you used just then. I think you say, said achieving stillness. Mm. Now, look, my dear, you cannot achieve stillness because okay. stillness is infinite. Okay. How can you achieve the sky? Mm. I see. All you get is you 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 may become familiar with it. Hmm? Mm. You may yeah. become. You may, you may grow in confidence with being still. At first, many people are frankly embarrassed, frightened of being still. To them, it seems that it's not alive. If you're used to a lot of noise and talking and activity in your life. So, um, yes, it, uh, but it's something that grows on acquaintance. And now you go on to ask me about nature. Well, well one of the great, uh, one of many benefits of, of, of being with nature is that this stillness is natural, isn't it? I mean, if, even if it's only a city park, if you just consider a tree, a tree is, in, in relation to human activity, a tree is still, isn't it? You can put your hands on a tree and feel that stability, that comfort of, of, um, of stillness. Obviously, this this last year might have been more challenging. But are you someone that tries to get out in nature regularly? And what does that look like for you? Well, fortunately, I live in a, in a small town in the north of England, and I've only got to look out of my window, just beyond the computer here, to see a lovely hillside and. Uh, the trees and, and and grassy fields and, uh, and the blue sky beyond. So uh, and yes, I I do go out for a walk every afternoon and well, I go every morning. I go around the nice park by the river, lovely, surrounded by hills. No, I'm very blessed in that way, and I've been close to nature all my life. I was lucky to work as a farmer, and and so I'm I'm soaked and. Uh, completely at home with, with the fields and the sheep and all the blessed things that turn green at this time of year. What's, what would you say the advantages are to speaking less and listening more in everyday oh. life? <laughs> You've picked that one up from me, haven't you? Of course I have. <laughs> well, it's a very, very, very good thing. Do you know, when I was a little boy, um, my granddad had a favourite saying, little boys should be seen and not heard. Mm. I think that wouldn't be politically acceptable <laughs> these days. Maybe not. <laughs> but it went deep into me. But... Um, but being brought up in the deep country and having to spend many, many, well, perhaps a greater part of my life alone, I soon became very used to being quiet and silent. And uh, I always found a lot of conversation rather bothersome and I just wanted to get away from it, really. Um, yes, just to speak less and listen more. Well, the trouble with speaking is that we don't listen. 
uh, either to the person you're speaking to or um, even more importantly to the voices of nature. You know, the real voices. I mean, if I just look out at the hillside opposite me, is it speaking to me? Well, not in a loud voice, but uh, it has a sort of silent voice, doesn't it? Mm. I look out at the sky, it's speaking to me, isn't it? It's communicating, but not with words. But the trouble is if one is all the time chattering in one's own self, you, you sort of blind yourself. You, you're not, you lose your awareness of, of the greater world around you. What does meditation look like for you now uh, in your experience? How do you best meditate? <laughs> Not such an easy question, my dear, because meditation, well, I started meditating nearly 60 years ago when I was 26 years old. And I've been practicing twice a day ever since. And um, all through that time, it develops. So I could, I could give you a different answer at every year throughout this long, long process. Um, what did it look like? Well, I suppose now it's become so, uh, so fused into my everyday experience. It's hard to say where it, where it begins or ends, but um, Just going back to how I started this interview, referring to the, the other world, the beyond, which isn't really other than this. It's simply as much a part of this world as the sky is. It's sort of, it's a, it's a dimension of which we're not normally aware. Just like the sky is always here enfolding us within its, within its influence. Also, as spaces and the silence is always present. You know, in the noisiest of situations, if you just listen, you'll hear silence beyond words. And you've only just got to, you know, watch people, watch a crowd of people to realize they're all moving within this sort of invisible space, aren't they? Mm. They're like performers on a stage. This, this invisible this silent and invisible world is with us all the time. This interview is conducted actually within a context of silence and of unlimited silence and space, or if you like to call it spirit. This, and this is this unseen, unheard dimension, which is, which, which actually, once you begin to realize this, which means bringing it into reality, it immediately gives you a sort of an alternative, a sort of third point, as it were, to the seesaw, you and me, duality of this world. And it suddenly it just makes it, it brings a wholeness into the situation, a stability, a peace, no matter how chaotic the world is a sort of confidence, no matter how, how we worry about how our performance is going in this world. For example, before this interview, I, I, I uh, you know, knowing I'm going to be put on the spot, I, I sort of make a little bit extra effort to connect with that. So I have that reassurance. Uh, 
that it's all going to be, as it were, contained within something that is unshakable and absolutely sure. And then I'm less likely to say something stupid, aren't I? Good bit of luck. <laughs> <laughs> if there are maybe young people listening now um, who are thinking to themselves that they've convinced themselves that meditation always has to be something to do with religion. Maybe these people oh. aren't religious. Can they still get benefits from meditation? <laughs> Absolutely, my dear. Oh, it's all these questions. They, they, they just move on a bit and they just become laughable. Yes, it, it, don't worry about being religious. Um, I was, uh, I had a typical education. I went to a school where we had compulsory chapel every day and and so for 10 years, I was uh, had scripture lessons, no choice about it. I was brought up in the Christian tradition. And you know, I'm always grateful for it because I'm familiar with the Bible and, and uh, the prayers and the, the language of religion. But then when I left school and didn't have to attend, well, I, I started um, exploring further other religions than that, like many people do. But... Um, I still, the, that language is, is very much in me. And I remember uh, immediately after I was taught to meditate and, when, and my, after my very first practice or two, when, it, when I began to get a sense of it opening up beyond the thinking mind, I thought, well, wow, this is what, they, this is what religion is talking about. This is, this is spirit. This is the kingdom of God. Well, previous to meditating, these words were just words to me. They meant nothing. I didn't know what it was in practice. And what meditation did, it, it made spirituality practical. It wasn't belief. It was practical experience. That's, that's what makes the difference, my dear. It's not belief. It's not thinking. It's real practical experience, just like looking out of the window at the sky. You don't need to read a book to learn to see, to, to be told the sky is there. You just look and it's there, isn't it? In the same way, when you meditate, you begin to realize that this, this stillness, this silence, this other dimension to life that we're not aware of normally is actually really and truly there and can be experienced. Easy. Picking up on another theme you have covered um, on your YouTube channel. I've been a, a follower, of, a subscriber of your channel um, this past year. I think some of the content on there is amazing. And there was one video um, where you talked about pain. And I'd love you to, to maybe share some of that advice with our audience now. So in your experience, what is your experience and relationship with pain and how does that affect your relationship with the world, as you say? <laughs> I know a lot about pain. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> first of all, physical pain. I was a farmer and I first uh, had a major injury to my back when I was 21. Um, I've lived with pain for most of my life. Um, now in old age, I have to live with art arthritic pain 
Um, well, sorry, you said what is, how did pain affect my relationship to the world? Well, like, like most old people would say, it's that's life, isn't it? You're lucky if you can get through life without pain. If one thing doesn't hurt, it's usually something else. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you get a sort of acceptance of it. But of course, far worse is mental pain, the suffering that we go through in our minds, you know, over all sorts of things. Uh, suffering for the destruction of nature or most people have an experience of suffering over lost love, don't we? And, um, oh, absolutely heartbreaking pain. And then what about the awful pains of depression? Oh, my God, I know all about that. Well, looking back, at the time, of course, you don't see it, but looking back, you rather come to see these things as blessings in disguise because they teach you. We do learn through pain. We learn through our suffering. Um, for one thing, we learn that, that that is a condition of this world, which, again, to relate back to what I've ever said, is this world of sin. This world that is not the real world, this fallen world, which is not the real human condition. And, um, and as you get a, a strengthening realization of the fact of existence, the fact that an alternative world exists, and, and as that becomes more real, then you're much more able to accept the sufferings of this world. You know, death is very real until you experience immortality. When you experience, when immortality becomes obvious to you, in fact, more obvious than mortality, then all the fuss the world makes about, um, you know, trying to procrastinate and prevent people dying becomes you know, the wind goes out of the sails a bit, really. I wouldn't say it's pointless, but um, but um, you know, it's much more important if you go think back in history. We don't use the term now to save the soul. Well, to save the soul means to bring to the forefront of experience this the fact of immortality. Well, when, you're, when your confidence of immortality is greater than your experience of mortality, well, then you get a different point of view, don't you? The, the sufferings of this life seem, well, lawful. The law, this is, you know, the, the, when man first, it's all... Yeah, whether you're religious or not, is a remarkable description of all this in the first chapters of the Bible. You see, when man first turned away from, uh, from, from his first home, which was in paradise, and fell, he fell in consciousness from a higher state of consciousness to a lower state of consciousness. And this is the human condition. And as God said to man, the wages of sin, the wages of falling from higher consciousness, which is immortal, to lower consciousness, which is mortal, is death. 
there we are. There we have death and pain. It, it, it is a natural consequence of, of being in the wrong place, of being absent from the presence of God in a world of corruption. My, my next question was, was going to be um, advice you would give to people who may face existential worries um, about maybe death or, or losing someone they love and having anxiety over that. But I think you've answered it fantastically uh, just there. But on that note, what advice can you give on grief and what is your approach to grief? Well, you suffer it. It's a, it's a fact of life, isn't it? We all have grief, oh my God, terrible grief from, from childish tears for your pet rabbit or a mouse or something that dies. Oh, indeed, tears. You know, this world is called a, a veil of tears, isn't it? This is part of the human condition. You know, we, we, uh, we are lost in this world and this world is full of tragedy. This world isn't a joy ride, I assure you. Of course it isn't, because we are absent, well, to use the same phrase again, absent from the presence of God. What is my attitude towards it? Well, well, it's only now really in old age that I can speak with such confidence, because it's a long, long, long process of, of realizing the fullness of first of all, man's potential, and then the consequences of, of this absence, which is the cause of all our trouble. Um, now, uh, I, I don't feel the same sort of grief like I used to, of course. Um, I wouldn't say it's completely for, from my experience. Um, I, I suppose I feel more compassion for those that are feeling it uh, because I know that um, at other stages of my life, I also, I know all about tears, goodness me. Um, veil of tears indeed. Grief. Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, isn't he? One of the classic descriptions in the Old Testament. Yes, I think the more you, the more you realize the lost and the sinful, this, the, the fallen estate of man, the more, the more, um, the more pitiful it becomes and, and, and the more you feel the pain the pain of it. You know, the compassion compels you to take on your own shoulders the suffering of others, which one does in this world, of course. But you take on the suffering of anyone you love when they're in trouble. You, you, you want to comfort them, but so often they won't accept it, will they? They turn away, say... Because in a strangely perverse way, people love their suffering. It sort of gives them validity, doesn't it? I'm the most unhappy person in the world. I've thought that. My God, I have. In, 
So in the in in the world right now, I think a lot of young people are very obsessed with this idea of being successful. Maybe it's their career. They're always driven by these things. In your experience throughout, you know, the years you've lived on this planet, what are the things that mean the most in life? Well, see, it varies, doesn't it? When you're young, it's usually something physical, isn't it? Climbing a mountain or winning a gold medal or, or winning the girl of your dreams. These are what <laughs> matter worse. <laughs> and then, uh, then it evolves throughout life. Um, what matters most? When um, I was 26 and... Uh, first approached a school of meditation and asked them to teach me. They asked me, what do you really, really want in life? And rather to my surprise, I answered, God. Well, I'm not sure really what I meant by God then. I'm not sure that I really know what I mean by God now, but I've, I've got a bigger idea. <laughs> I think I have a bit more experience than I had when I was 26. You see, these things, they grow. <laughs> They're infinite. And one's whole concept of the infinite grows and grows. You know, you, you, if we start off thinking love. Of course, we all want to love and be loved. And we think in terms of, of a particular girl. And, um, and if you're fortunate enough to... To, uh, to, to uh, have that gift, then it's absolutely wonderful. Um, unfortunately, very often our love experience is yesterday and no tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, so, and so, um, so we're distraught and, and grieving and suffer over that. And then, well, as happened in my experience, we gradually, gradually, gradually begin to expand our whole concept of love to, to something that is actually bigger than a particular woman's love. It's something infinite. It's a very big step indeed to think in terms of the love of God, although we may get glimmerings and tastes of it quite early on in life. But... Um, Certainly love, like all the big things, freedom and peace are infinite. They have no end. And where does one experience begin and the other? Where does one experience end and the other begin? They seem tend to merge into one another. The whole thing gets bigger as one gets older. Um, again, I'm sorry, I've rather wandered from the question, haven't I? I can't quite <laughs> remember what it was. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um... I'll pick up and, and, and sort of tie in the next question as we start to, to wind down this interview. One of the last things I, I really wanted to ask you, I know it's quite a, a tough question, but in your experience, what makes a life worth living? Oh, what makes a life worth living? Oh, oh it, it's finding, finding the infinite, you see. Mm. Finding God. You don't, you don't have to call it God, of course, but find the infinite, you see. And that can never fail. And see, that is infallible. And that's what makes life worth living. Yes. Infallibility. Yes. Don't worry about this old, old body of mine, you know. 
I'm, I'm just I'm just a little boy with a grey beard, you know, and this infinite adventure, it just goes on and on. It just gets better and better. That's right. That's what it's all about. Seek, reach for the stars, my dears. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't be satisfied with anything less. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. We've, we've talked a lot today. I want to give you the chance to let these guys watching or listening right now uh, know where they can find out more about yourself and where they can. I know you've written quite a few books. If they're interested, where can they go to find the books and more about yourself, John? Well, we've got a website. Are you going to put this on the podcast? Absolutely. I will leave the link. Yes, it, it's... it's uh, um, we actually, we're actually changing the, the, the website, bringing it up to date, so don't get maybe uh, irritated by it. But if you go to the end of the, uh, whatever they call those things at the top, you know, there's the books, details of books there. There are eight books. And um, so far, there's another couple in the pipeline. But, um, but uh, they're written 100% from my own experience. There's no quoting from other people. There's no theory about them. And they describe this, this life full of mistakes, um, full of um, despair and suffering and uh, ups and downs. But uh, it's genuine and it's straight from experience. And, uh, and I hope it'll be encouraging to anybody to soldier on and never give up. And, uh, and uh, as I say, reach for the stars and... Uh, and uh, and uh, God bless you all. <laughs> Amazing. I will, of course, leave the links to those books in the description of the podcast. John, yes. uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been a, a fan of your work for, for some time now, and it means a lot to, to speak to you myself. And yeah, you've brought a lot of value to our audience today. And for that, I thank you so much. Thank you so much indeed, Lewis. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your attention again today on this Monday and the Freedom Pact podcast. We'll, of course, see you back here again, I hope, on Friday when my co-host Joe will be bringing you another episode of the show. Until then, if you'd like to support the show, the best way in which you can do that is if you head over to YouTube, search for Freedom Pact and subscribe to our channel. That is the number one way that you can help support the show and it means the absolute world to us. So hopefully I will see you over on YouTube where you can get all these episodes in video format as well as highlights and best bit clips that we post almost every day. So please come and say hello over there or on Instagram at Freedom Pact or drop us an email at freedompact at gmail.com We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, the recent episodes, and any guest recommendations you may have. So please come along and get in touch. I'll see you guys again next time on the Freedom Pack podcast.